You're tuning into episode 160 of the Dawson D Show, and today we sit down with a national icon and a legend in the sport. Our guest today is one of the greatest boxers ever to come out of Australia. He's the former WBO welterweight champion after defeating legend Manny Pacquiao in front of a packed home crowd in Brisbane. Recently retired and here to tell us about his astonishing career, ladies and gentlemen, it's the Hornet, Jeff Horn. We were lucky enough to sit down with Jeff while in Brisbane and spend an hour talking to him about his incredible career, life and achievements. From being bullied as a kid and learning to self-defend to becoming world champion and everything in between, Jeff shared it all. He took us behind the scenes of the historic day when he defeated Manny Pacquiao to become world champion. From the preparation, the build-up, the crazy crowd and the decision, it was amazing to hear it from his perspective. But outside of his accolades, we heard what it takes to become an elite boxer. Jeff shared the gruelling times of cutting weight before a fight, boxing psychology, having to sell your own tickets in the early days, and even sparring with cocky up-and-comers that are trying to make a name for themselves. We touched on the concussion debate, the dream fight he wish he had, and the one opponent in the ring Jeff felt really had a problem with him. Guys, you'll love this episode whether you like boxing or not, as Jeff is so lovable and humble. As always, remember to hit that subscribe button, leave a five-star review, and subscribe to our channel on YouTube where you can watch this whole episode now. And if you love your sport, check out our interviews with other Australian legends like Glenn Boss, James Hurd, Archie Thompson, Chris Anstey, Matthew Richardson, and many, many more. All right, here he is, the icon, the legend, and the hornet, Jeff Horn. Well, D, we've got an absolute champion, an icon in Australian boxing. Jeff Horn, welcome to the Dawson D Show, mate. Yeah, thanks for having me, boys. We are so, we're just chatting off air. We're so excited for this, Jeff. We've been looking forward to it for a very long time. And admittedly, we're not massive into boxing or combat sports or anything like that, but we're really excited to hear your story and diving into a bit about yourself. But before we do that, how's post-retirement life? How's it treating you? Look, it's it's good, I guess. It's good not getting punched in the head yep. uh, for a living, but my memory's probably a bit better. I'm, I'm remembering a lot more things. Not that I had too much concerns, but just I was so busy. So yeah. busy doing doing things when I was boxing and uh, it was easy to forget things. How is training though post-retirement? Are you still training? Are you still keeping yourself... Is he good, Nick? Oh, you are in good, Nick. Look, <laughs> I feel like it's starting It's starting to change. I've got to get back to the gym and do some weights and stuff. That's all I've been doing for probably the last couple of years. But the last few months I haven't been doing much and I'm itching to probably get back. You've been on Media Street. That's why. Yeah. You know, I've seen you everywhere at the moment. It never stops either, does it? No, it doesn't. I guess it's it's important to stay... Stay relevant, I guess. That's a whole part of, I guess, having that somewhat fame. Brand. Name. Yeah, yeah, the brand. So I've got to, I guess, keep it going, keep pumping it out. For sure. Have you completely ruled out a chance of a return or comeback? Because we have heard, obviously, the retirement word a few times and that might last a year or two years or even yeah. five years. Is it totally ruled out? Is there a chance we might see you in the ring again? Yeah, look, I'm... I'm happy with what I've done and yep. uh, in in the past in boxing and I don't think there's a probably money figure out there that could draw me back into the sport. I don't think oh, really. Yeah, yeah, look, they've they've tried before and they cut me short just under my amount that I said last time and okay. I was just like, okay, well, I'm not doing it. So well, so it's been it's been a few years now. So. Has that been maybe like a once a year kind of phone call? How does that come about? Yeah, there's normally something that comes up. I either have an Instagram message from someone overseas or a local promoter goes, oh, do you want to jump on this show? Well, like, we need to sell some tickets, Jeff. Jump on board. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just like, nah, I'm 
unless you can give me over over a million bucks yeah. to, to fight again against someone that's probably not going to kill me. Yeah. But you can't you can't guarantee that either. So it's a good point. You'll find as we go through this podcast, our show is not linear. We don't normally start from the start and work our way through. So we jump around a little bit and already you've mentioned something that's pricked my ears because we were telling you off air, we're Melbourne boys, we love our footy. Concussion is the big hot topic at the moment. So now post-retirement, how do you feel about things like concussion? You, you mentioned you know getting smacked in the head for a living. Yeah. When you think about your kids, you've got three kids under five or yep. five and under. Has that mindset changed from when you were a 20-year-old? Hundred percent. I guess ever since I had children, changed. I guess my probably attitude towards the sport. Not that I, I, it was like a switch. I was like, I, I thought differently about yeah. it. But my priorities changed, and I, I loved being a dad. It was the best thing that's happened to me in my life. And even though I got that world title win in front of that fifty-two thousand people, and that was an extraordinary feeling, but. Having kids is is next level, and I want to be able to remember them when I'm older. And if I keep getting punched in the head too many times, you don't know what time it is that you can't go backwards with with your brain. So yeah. I'm mm. protecting myself. I'm I'm not bad now, but I'm protecting myself from potentially in the future that happening. So what might be a really pretty naive question or silly question, but like post concussion, what are what are the feelings? And I'm sure it's prolonged symptoms. Look, I didn't really notice anything when I was fighting like you'd get hit and punched and things and you might have a sore head or a bruised bruising around around the top of your head and stuff like that but I didn't feel the symptoms of concussion even though I'm sure I would have had it but I guess yeah it's something that you don't think of when you're in sport and you've had a concussion you just say oh you might have a little headache for a little bit and then that's it I might have had a little headaches. It's it's hard to remember back, uh, even a couple of years ago now from sparring. I'm sure I would have, but mm. I can't remember it. Is it a genuine fear of you of yours and maybe even other boxes? Like, do, do they? Because I mean, when I talk about concussions, I hear concussions. To be honest, it sounds bad, but you kind of roll your eyes a little bit because we were brought up similar vintage and again playing footy in Victoria. I mean, I five, six concussions as a kid. I didn't care. You'd play the next week. There was no stopping. And you and as you grow older, that mindset continues of just get on with it. But is it a genuine fear now that it's going to affect you at some stage in your life? Look, or do you don't think about it? You don't think about yeah. it. Not when you're involved in the sport, I guess. Um, even though there's a lot of shade getting thrown over yeah. at the moment. But when you're in it, you're like, I'm fine. Yeah, That's exactly course. an yeah. attitude of an athlete. And... As as a fighter, that's the attitude that you had to have. You had mm. to go, no, nah, I'm all in. I'm, I'm, I'll do anything to win, and that's the attitude I had pre-children. After children, the attitude kind of shifted a little bit to go. There's more important things in in my life in in life than myself. So yeah. there were there were the more important things. Having having three girls, can you take us back? We know a bit about your story and why you started boxing, and especially now what you're doing with Bullyproof Australia. Can you share a bit about that story and why you actually even began boxing? Yep. So at the beginning, I guess I, in probably grade eight, even probably a little bit of primary school as well, I was I was getting bullied. Kids probably didn't even realise they were doing it back in the day, but uh, just simple name calling all the time. Then it turned into physical bullying, where just silly things, someone pushing you over, someone else sitting behind you, so. Like that type of thing, and um, I eventually fought back, didn't win the fights, and the rest is history. I was like, 
well, I've got to go learn how to protect myself. And that's where I went to the mm. martial arts gym slash boxing gym. Wow. And when did you fall in love with it? When was that moment where you go, this is what I want to do? Oh, look, I, I, I did martial arts for probably about a year. And then in that, in that time frame, so I was probably, what, 18, 19 yep. doing that. And at the same time, I was trying to make it in football, in NRL. So I was, it was after probably that year of that self-defense that I did. And I started doing boxing. I was like, I, I, I love this. I think I'll, I should do this for, I should, I should have a crack. And was there was there a coach that actually said to you, "Geez, Jeff, you're you're not you're not bad, mate. I reckon, <laughs> I reckon you got I reckon you got something in you." Well, that's what probably swayed me towards the boxing okay. pathway. Someone saw potential in you. Yeah, I I was with Glenn and from the very beginning, and he's like, "I think you've got the potential." He's like, "I can take you to the, the Olympics in four years' time and make you a world champion." another four years after that and he was pretty close yeah very close. <laughs> that's amazing so again your first fight talk us through that uh, sorry like professional or semi-professional fight and as in in the boxing ring yeah take us to that moment is, is this in the pros or in the amateurs well let's go amateurs yeah let's start so there. in the amateurs i had my first very first fight at the acacia ridge hotel and okay i won that one by stoppage and i think that was in the second round how old were you then? I was, I think I was 20. Okay. I had my first fight. And then after that, I went to the Queensland State titles, Beanley. That was my, yeah, second and third fight, those titles where I won them. Wow. Mm. Hey. Yeah. I walked into it and they're like, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> How many fights you had? One other fight. Not, not in the organization that they were though. And they're like, yeah. rightio, this guy's going to get hurt. You, you seem like a really humble person. So in in that in those moments, like, do you tell people that you that you I'm about to go and fight my first proper, you know, amateur boxing fight? Are you telling all your mates? Are you telling family? Are they coming to what? Or do you keep that under wraps? No, I, I, t- I tell them. I'm, yeah, I, I let the my friends and family know yeah. that that's what I'm doing. And if you yeah. want to come watch it or support it, yeah, I'm doing it because so it just seems so blasé the way you're saying. Yeah, you know, yeah. I went and fought, and you know, it went yeah, all right. right. You know, I was like, I wonder if actually he told anyone. Like, yeah, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure in the pros it was more. Okay. you had to sell tickets. Yeah, so you really needed support from your family, your friends, your your, your businesses around mm. the place to make sure that you could, I guess, promoters would put you on their shows to go. This guy can sell. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. So I'd like. I know we're skipping forward a little bit for the moment, but. You just mentioned you have to sell your own tickets. That's something that I had no idea about. Yep. So well, how does that work? Tell us what, why and how it works to, to actually push yourself up the ranks to be able to eventually, years and years down the line, you become world champ. Yeah. Well, some of the, the promoters give you, might like the deal that they might give you is go, well, if you sell five tables and 50 tickets, then basically you can keep the money from those five tables and Oh, okay. So that that's kind of how my deals back in the day kind of probably worked. They and, and they're they're profiting from <clears throat> drinks and th- that's what they're they're just yeah. bums on seats. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That's I, what's I, in I it guess for them. so. Yeah. Plus they're selling all the rest of the tables okay. like, on on the night, even though they've got to pay other fighters as well. But sure. they're hoping you'll draw in more than what you what they're giving you. I see. Yeah, and like because we loved our WWE as a, as kids, obviously. <laughs> but, yeah. but is this like to promote yourself? Are you having to, or are you just saying, look to your mates, or can you do us a favor and come watch me and support? Or are you trying to like 
prep yourself up as this character almost or the, is there any of that kind of <laughs> is there any of that kind of stuff involved to get pe- bums on seats or I, a lot of people do do that yeah, yeah. i i couldn't yeah I, I don't i i don't think it's in me to to try and like act like someone else to try and i guess sell myself in that yeah. way so i just like i'll just be myself yeah and mm. I, i'm i'm good at boxing so i'll just see if that gets me gets me the wins people yeah, might cool. want to watch me more and i'll take on whoever I, yep. didn't, I didn't care. So in all my career, I was always shooting up at the the top guys and they would eventually go, yeah, sure, we'll fight you. And then I fought them and beat them. This episode of the Dawson D Show is brought to you by Fleet Plant Hire Solutions. Do you have an earth-moving project coming up, D? Look no further than Fleet Plant Hire Solutions. With over 2,000 qualified contractors and an experienced team, they're the one-stop solution for all your earth-moving needs. Whether you need excavation, truck hire, or plant hire, they have you covered. And with their focus on customer service, they'll be there every step of the way to deliver on your project needs. Oh, yes, please, Doss. Their innovative material tracking technology and resources allow them to handle any project big or small and their expert team ensure that the job is done right every single time fleet plant hire solutions the one-stop solution for all your earth moving needs visit them at fph.com.au now let's get into the episode it's probably a great little segue because one thing we did want to ask you today which was what are your thoughts on the whole youtube boxing scenario going on at the moment in the current world because if you ask daniel who his favorite boxer was he'd probably say jake paul (laughs) but like what are your thoughts on that and when you say that, the bums on seats aspect, that that just seems very much that. Yeah. Look, boxing is a business. It's selling tickets and pay-per-views and all that type of thing. So these YouTubers, I guess, know how to sell themselves and that turns into tickets as well in boxing events because people are like, oh, I would like to see the fight. Everyone kind of wants to see a fight when you're at school and there's a fight happening people run over and go oh well, there's a fight happening oh yeah deep you down we all love that you yeah. can't help it's just a natural instinct to go oh what's happening like and have a look so that's happening in in the real real world with these youtubers going oh i'm gonna have a fight and then everyone's like oh i'm interested in this <laughs> yeah. now yeah. i've heard this guy's fighting and let's see how how good he is well it's even coming across now in the nrl and afl and all these other platforms of, of now suddenly they're getting in the ring and, and boxing. But as a as a true pro boxer, how do you feel about it? Do you think it's good good for the sport, bad for the sport? Do you look down on it? Do you watch the fights? Do you dislike it? How do you feel? I think it's good for the sport for a main reason is those guys are normally the the head the last the main the main card. Yeah. So and normally the undercard fighters are actually fight boxers. Gotcha. Okay. So they're not going to put on a whole card of basically footballers. Sometimes yep. they do, but quite regularly they'll put on a, a footballer fight or, or a YouTuber fight or, or something and have all these undercard fighters. So the people that go to watch those YouTubers start seeing the other boxers going, oh, this guy's actually quite good, even better than the, the main fight that we went and watched and they get interested and then they follow them. So it's good for them to go. They're, they're gaining these more fans along the way because of the YouTubers drawing them in. Did you ever get a you know a tap on the shoulder to some of these athletes, whether it's you know league players, AFL players, to for a bit of advice when they were going into fight? Have I been tapped on the shoulder from the AFL players or, or something? No, from any of those guys who are obviously trying to you know that they're, they're going into another code, just maybe for it's for fame or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and they're trying to promote these fights. Did any of these guys, these athletes who are coming to boxing just for their exhibition aspect? Did they ask for any advice? Oh, look, not really. Not that I can 
really think of because normally they those guys have been trained by someone that they've trusted in. They've gone, oh, I'm going to hook up with this trainer and he's going to train me all the basics and things and what I need to know. Uh, there's not really too much I can give advice on a fight day or something to mm, one yeah. of those fighters to go to really change the, their momentum for a victory. Yeah, and when you watch it, or if you watch it, what do you think about the quality and how quickly would you handle that? <laughs> how long would they last against a Hornet? Look, I... I would feel fairly confident yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that I would be able to handle them. But some of them are big boys as well, yeah. big big shots. So that's, I guess, the equaliser in mm. my skill level. I've definitely got the skill level above those guys. But uh, sometimes I don't mind taking a shot. And if I was to take a shot against one of those from one of those big guys, it wouldn't go down very well. So mm. I don't know. What, what's a shot that you didn't like? So I'm sure you were, ca- you were comfortable... If, if someone knew a weakness of yours, but you're happy that they might have, you know, knew that weakness, what's one of the weaknesses you, you hated your competitor or your opponent knowing about? I didn't have too many weaknesses, to be honest. I, guess I like it. warming up yeah, now. <laughs> Look, mentally, I guess I, I thought I was good in kind of every area. It was yeah. just that my fitness fitness level... For some reason, always I would have a dip in my fight, and normally it was around that round nine mark. Mm. So I guess fighters started to get get onto that. I think Michael Rafa got onto that. Tim Zhu probably got onto that, and there were the last probably couple of fights that I had where I had losses. So yeah, um, knowing that around that time in a fight where I start getting tired and I I stoop down in in my energy levels, yeah. that's when they come for me. So so all right. Well, what about your strengths then? So. You didn't have many weaknesses. What yep. was the, you know, your one wood that you just, everyone was, was scared of in your prime? What what did you feel most confident about your game going into fights? Just awkwardness, I guess. Really? My fighting style compared to a lot of other fighting styles because I'm with the trainer that has a martial arts background, a strong martial arts background. I had that martial arts to begin with and that footwork and off-rhythm kind of fainting and attacks that kind of threw, threw a lot of opponents and they didn't know how I moved because I moved differently to the other boxes that they were mm. against. When you went on these incredible runs of just win after win after win, which was pretty much your whole career anyway, <laughs> but um, your mindset going into the fights, how stro- like did you walk into the ring thinking I'm not lo- like there's no way this guy's got me or like did you have that kind of attitude where you're like I just can't be beaten? Well, not not to that extent, mm. but the, the belief is always there is like, I know I can win this fight. I've just got to put everything that I've done in training and the knowledge that I've, I've gotten from the sport and from my trainer and use that against this guy and that should be enough to get the victory. And nine times out of ten, well, probably not even nine times out of ten because in my amateur career I lost 18 out of 66 fights. So. Here you go. Yeah, nearly, nearly one in three. Isn't it interesting though? Like, no one would know about that. Everyone, everyone knows about your record currently in the, you know, in the pros. It's really interesting hearing that. What I'd love to hear about your, your training camps, like your camps before before battle. Like, can you give us a bit of an insight into, you know, well, is the martial arts aspect different style of training with that coach? What, are, are your camps different to other boxing camps? Yeah, my camps kind of changed a little bit. I hooked up with Dundee Kim early on in my pro career as well because he had noticed me and goes oh i'll get you to promote my shoes and i promoted dundee shoes and then he's like maybe we could 
like I can help you out a little bit, do some pads. And I did some pads with him and it was really good. I was like, this is, this is really good. And he became my strength and conditioning coach at that point. And I was with Dundee for a couple of, a couple of days a week. So I'd see Glenn a few times a week and then I'd go see Dundee a couple of times a week. And that worked well for me. I had that breakup in not having to go to the one place all the time and have that, I guess, Mundane. Yeah, yeah, just listening to the same yeah. person saying the same yeah. things all the time. Um, I could have that other opinion, which I had in the amateurs anyway because I had Glenn and I, I had all these Australian coaches and other coaches from the States putting input into me and I felt like this worked with Dundee and Glenn together and I could go see Dick Dundee, work on some nice short, sharp punches with his pad work because I really liked that type of pad work and Glenn's was the more awkward style that was the essence of what made me different and made me awkward to all these other guys. When you talk about like boxing psychology, for example, how often do you win a fight or lose a fight based on a split second, say mistake of whether it's a lapse in concentration or just that, that split second moment that you're off that can cost you a win or, or a loss? Thankfully, I've never been knocked out like just cold yeah. in the ring, <clears throat> which is what can happen if you make a split decision error of going one way when you should have gone the other way. So that's or, typically what the error would be? Yeah, you or go, just slowing down yeah, okay. or just doing the same thing a couple of times and the opponent goes, oh, he's doing that, he's doing that. And then they see that and they fire a good shot and, and get you with it. So if you're not concentrating, um, that's what can happen. And I've got guys like Sam Columban, absolutely awesome fighter. I thought I was going 10 hard rounds with him and – I was able to knock him out in 78 seconds, which is a highlight reel knockout for me. And look, he's 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 been world-class fights before, so I was, I was very lucky to get those shots. I was just going to say, but a key element of that though, like, again, you're very humble. It's part of your – it's not luck that you're, you're not ending up in those situations. The way you move, the awkwardness, that clearly has something to do with it. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I guess that movement and stuff throws yeah. these guys off and might feel – they might feel more comfortable with you or – they might feel more awkward and try something different that they don't normally do and that's when they get gone. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> how do you – because we can imagine how you train for, say, fitness, for example, or, or technique or anything like that. You can train, train, train. But in terms of concentration, how do you train for that? How do you stay switched on for such a long period of time? I think that's just a person-to-person basis really too. And okay. I guess it's training. It was always – train. I would always train like it was a fight. Okay. So I'll I'll do if I was doing a three round fight in the amateurs, I'll do a block of three minutes. Uh, so it was three three minute rounds, and I'll do a block on the bag. Say that was a three three minute round block, mm-hmm. and finish that, and then I'd go on to skipping or something like that. Might do a few three minute three by three minute okay. rounds of skipping, or change it up with step ups or something. I don't know. Yeah. You would always just do blocks of that to. That's exactly what I did in the pros, I guess. If I was doing a six-round fight, I'd do six six round blocks and mm. eight round blocks, ten round blocks. Yeah. Do you miss that yeah. aspect of, of your like that was your career for such a long time and you're not doing it anymore? Do you miss it? No. You don't you don't you don't miss it at all. <laughs> I guess I wouldn't have I wouldn't have probably quit if I yeah. still had the love for it. And I think I lost the love for the sport. Um, okay. when I gave it up. Uh, it would just be kind of became about more money and dollars because my goal from the very start in boxing was to become a world champion, and I was at, and I did that against Manny Pacquiao. So I guess 
lesson, I guess, to anyone else or the aspiring boxers out there, aim, put your goal high because then if you just miss, say if I would have said my goal is to become a unified world champion. So the champion out of the four, four belt era, so having all four of them, then <laughs> if you just got one of them, like what I did against Manny Pacquiao, even though he was considerably probably one of the best out there, yeah, you'll be happy. Mm. I'm looking forward to talking about that fight shortly. But before we do, we were fortunate enough last year to have uh, Glenn Boss champion jockey on our show. And he was talking about cutting weight before big race days. Mm -hmm. And it was fascinating to hear the techniques he used. So I want to ask you, Jeff Horn, how did you (laughs) cut weight before fights? What were your techniques, secrets? What was the most grueling one you might have done? Yeah. So basically the gist of how I made weight, I would try and eat. I guess, less food mm-hmm. or different types of food to make sure you could cut down just a little bit of weight in, in the fight preparation. But normally 80% of the weight that you lose is pre-fight day. So okay. On the on weigh-in day. So and 24 hours out from that is when I start going, okay, now we have less food, to have less, less in our stomach. Your stomach's empty you, and you go to the water loss method. And yep. that's... A lot of the guys now, and I, I, I did this, I guess, a little bit. You drink a lot, you can o- overload with water, and then the body just wants to keep flushing it out, and then it over flushes it out, and then you end up with very little, I guess, less water than you normally would, and that's how you lose weight. But mine was a lot in the amateur days. I would use a sauna, yep. and then I found out that didn't feel very nice. <laughs> <the> sauna, <laughs> didn't like it? Not really. Like I like a sauna now yeah, these okay. days, but I can stay in it for as long as I want and I'm not stepping it, getting out of it, drying myself and stepping on the scales and then oh, yeah. having to jump back in there again and go, I really want this drink of water, but I can't drink it because... There's a different purpose to it. Yeah. Yeah. Did it ever get really close to almost you're not going to make weight? Whenever I made weight, I tried to make it bang on. Okay. okay. So, or, or either a couple hundred grams under. Okay. Just to maybe that might be the safety net, but... I normally try to make it basically bang on the weight. So you used to have uh, an official scales that you used to have to weigh on. So yep. you would calibrate that to your scale. So I'll go check my, my weight on the on the official scales. So say I'm 71 kilos on that scales. And I go weigh myself on my scales and I'm 70 kilos. I know there's a kilo difference. Okay. So if I weigh 70 kilos on mine... I'm good on the official scales. Jesus, you got to do your due diligence, don't you? Like, not, not everyone would probably know that, or, yeah. or is that a real common myth in uh, there? I guess a lot of fighters would do it. They they might have their own set of scales that they. I, I would sometimes bring them, bring my scales to an, an official weigh-in, like not the official weigh-in, but just before, yep. and where they have the trial weight and the stare-offs and whatever. And I'd go, I'd step step on their scales, then step on my scales, and I'd go, yep, I would I would have that calibrated all good, but. How did, how did you like the – let's talk about the media press, uh, yeah. you know, b- before those bigger fights and the stare-offs. <laughs> it doesn't seem like you – you know, you're not a trash talker. You're not that kind of guy. How did you feel in those moments? Was it awkward? Was it enjoyable? Did you have to have a, a certain person tell you, mate, you know, you should say this, you <laughs> shouldn't mind say games. this? Yeah, like, well, what was the process like for you? Look, sometimes it was a little bit awkward, but uh, majority of the time it was just basically I was there – Oh, every time I was there to do a job and um, I knew that didn't really mean too much and I got to guess step in the ring with them the day after, no matter what they said to me, we're going to be getting in the ring and throwing fists at each other. So <laughs> we'll see where all the talk is. doesn't matter, does it? Yeah, yeah. it doesn't. Yeah. So I just normally would just stare them straight in the eyes and 
not basically <laughs> blink and yeah. feel like I'm just seeing what this person, how like you can kind of see how their their confidence is. And some of them were majority of my com- my opponents were confident. I could see that. And when you see that in your opponent that they're they're confident in beating you, uh, that should probably make you more scared. But that made me more, I guess. Willing to yeah. try and break them down, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is what you hear Tim do all the time. He's like, I, I don't mind. I just want to, I want to break the, yeah. break their will basically. So once you step in the ring with them, they'll start knowing. Oh crap! This is this is not what trouble. I was expecting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of our favorite questions we love asking any athlete or ex-athlete on our show. We love the trash talk, no matter what sport. Yeah. Have they ever had a sledge that you almost just go? Like you almost want to clap, say, mate, well done. That's, that's oh. You got me like, I know in the moment you'd be so con- like you'd be concentrating so hard, but maybe now does anything come to mind where you think, gee, that was actually quite clever or <laughs> hey, I like, know any, that about me. Or any, yeah. any good sledges or did you throw any good sledges that you were quite happy with or nothing comes to mind? No, nothing really. Um, Damn. <laughs> <laughs> look, Michael Zarafa was pretty nasty and that, I think that was, that was real nastiness. Okay. He, like he didn't he generally... I think disliked me at the time and and wanted to beat me up. Was per- personal? I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why. I guess um, he was he was a stepping stone to me to get to a bigger fight, and yeah. I underestimated him uh, the first time I fought him, which was a, a big big mistake in my career to have done that. But so, th- do you think that result was based off? Your lack of preparation? Are you, is that what you're saying? Oh, not preparation. I still trained hard. Maybe the diet probably went out the window a little bit because I, I fought up, uh, I think, at middleweight. Okay. He was he was a bigger guy that I probably should have respected more about about the size difference. But gotcha. I was just like, I'm, I should have the skills here yeah. to, to get it done. So that mindset that I had even just saying it now was the reason I lost because I underestimated how good he was because he is a very good boxer and if you underestimate, underestimate him just a little bit, he'll will, he will get you. Mm. Does any fights come to your mind, maybe even in the amateur days, but of people that just don't stop talking the whole fight? They're just chatting, 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 chatting. Throughout a fight? Yeah. Oh. Oh, is, that not, is that not common? That's pretty uncommon. You do, I feel like I did have that in the past. I've, I can't remember the guy's name, though, who yeah. did it, but I can remember... What's it like? Talking. What's that like? It's annoying. Just, you get puffed. Yeah. It's annoying. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's it's normally sledging. Yeah. Uh, normally they're trying to get in your head and make you feel uncomfortable, which I it probably did, but it probably spurred me more to then want to hurt them more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess. But that's sometimes what they're trying to draw because then they're trying to draw that attack from you then to counter you with something that they're they're looking for. So it is a dangerous thing. Um, yeah. Because you know, sometimes they're just. An idiot. I've had yeah. probably more idiots probably inspiring than in actual fights. Really? Yeah, I've yeah. had people inspiring before do some silly things. And Are they like what <clears throat> up-and-comers looking for experience and, they're, and yeah. they're trying to leave some kind of mark on you? Yeah, or? some young younger ones, younger fighters, probably trying to make a name for them, themselves and they're a bit cocky and feel like they're, they might have been a little bit bigger and that they could handle me pretty easily and they start saying, come on. Come on, what is that all you got? And things like that. It's just like yeah, world champ. Come on, yeah. <laughs> is that the pathway for guys like on the up? Is that is that what they try to do? Get to spar with some of the greats. Is that what people tend uh, to do? I guess you do try and spar as many, I guess, up there fighters as you can because that's 
just as valuable as having the fight experience yeah. as well. How do you, yeah. how do how do you even get to that? Like, is that how if if I was a boxer and I wanted to spar with you, how do I make that happen? How, how what's the process? I guess your coach would call probably my coach okay. or team and go. I'd really love to get in some rounds. I think I'd I suit your probably next opponent. Okay. Um, I can do this, or I can I can fight like this. If if you need any rounds, I can give it to you. So we were talking about this on the way, and this is I, I love this because I I do really want to know. How many, say out of 10, you know when there's all the shit talk, trash talk before a fight and then the fight happens and you see that the two come together and hug and they whisper each other, man, that, you know, that it might be. I love you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love you, man. That was amazing. Um, <laughs> how many of them actually, you know, do you walk out of the ring and it's it's respect for one another? Is How many out of 10 have you experienced th- that not be the case, or has it always been respect? No, there's always a healthy respect, I guess, in the in the sport of boxing. Like normally, you might say some stuff to each other pre-fight, but you don't really mean much of it, or the other the opponent doesn't. And normally, there's respect because if they've been able to stand in a ring for you against you at your hundred percent, trying to take take them out, and they last, normally there's a lot of respect there. And that goes both ways with both opponents. That's interesting. Is there many friendships to the point where you'd actually get a drink with them like these days even? Like you might have – or does it just sort of filter out after the fight's been and gone? I'm talking about the real big fights that have, you know, months in advance. Yeah, look, uh, I wouldn't say that – I I would sit down with past opponents that I've had and have a drink about – talk about fights, but it doesn't really happen – I guess too often for me anyway. Yeah. Not that I wouldn't probably do it, but yeah. Yeah. What's it, what's it like going to an Olympic Games? You know, obviously 2012, yep. like that was huge. London, like such a, I, I even remember watching the, the Olympic mm. Games, what a huge deal that was. For you, you know, being in the Olympic Village and with the other Aussies and what was that whole experience like? <laughs> Look, it was uh, it was a dream come true, I guess, yeah. walking alongside the, the famous athletes that I'd – looked up to when I was a, as, as a kid or just the ones that are on TV at the time uh, performing on the world stage and I was like, this is cool. Like you're yeah. walking alongside these people, living in the same venue as these people and eating at the same place as these people and yeah. it's just like, this is cool. Like hanging around these these type of athletes and it was what you were aspired to kind of be as professional as those guys were. Mm. What do you rank that experience in terms of everything you've done in the sport? How high is is representing Australia? Look, it's pretty high. Like other than, I guess, my world title wins, pretty up there, I guess, competing on that stage. The world is watching, I guess, for the Olympic Games. And Mm. I made it pretty far, not as far as I would have liked, but um, it was still extraordinary, I guess. And I had a lot of support from back home uh, when I was in London. Amazing. What? What's it like in your mind after a loss? So especially like, you know, towards the end of your professional career, those last, that last year or a couple of years, you had those couple of losses. What was it like in your mind after that? Because you'd won for so long, like for years and years and years, and you were the king and things were always going your way. Mm-hmm. What was it like in your mind when you had a couple of losses in a row and all of us, was that when you realised you wanted to stop fighting or? Look, it was depressing yeah. i guess when you yeah. when you when you have a couple of losses it's like oh what am i what am i doing am i am i in this you start thinking am i in this for the right reasons and all that and 
then I reflect on the the fight camp. It's like, did I really put in 100%? And normally you can say, well, there's things that I missed out that I could have done. And uh, dietary-wise, did I cheat a little bit here and there where I normally I wouldn't? And you're like, I've paid for the little things that I kind of let slip here and there. Mm. Well, um, and on the flip side, when you're world champ, what's that mindset like? And like, I've heard rumours, and I don't know how true this is, so you can answer for us, but does everybody actually refer to you as champ? Is that what they call you? Because <laughs> that's a one time it's yeah. actually acceptable to get champ. Yeah. <laughs> Look, <laughs> I guess I, I, I have had get called champ sometimes, um, yeah. but I think it's just – an Aussie thing, hey champ, yeah, yeah, as well. So I don't like it. <laughs> well, we don't like it, but we're not walking around with the with a world championship <laughs> on our shoulder. Yeah, but, look, it's uh, not not something I guess really thought about. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Whether you, I, I guess, when I was called world champion, I guess it's a pretty cool feeling. Of but course. Now I can just get called former world champion. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can do. I'm sure that, and maybe we talk about the Manu Pacquiao fight, but because you're, you just become became like this massive name. Like after that, how does it go from becoming? I mean, from you know, we you know listen to you talk about this actually somewhere else, and you know you, you can probably walk through daylight and no one really notices who you are. You have one fight, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> like you're getting stopped all the time, and people want a piece of you, and all of a sudden you've got all these people in your corner. It, Explain to us that, you know, whole, you know, change of life for you. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the big change, like there was a little bit of a change when I was fighting those big big fights versus top 15 ranked opponent. Um, of course. And then the promoters like promoting me all the time on TV, on Foxtel. So there was a little bit and as people would, would notice me, uh, but it was very rare that that would happen. And after the Pacquiao fight, it was like there wasn't one human being that didn't know who I was <laughs> Just at a certain point in time. And yeah. I can remember going through a rainforest somewhere um, a while away and there was basically no people through that rainforest. And then the one person that we, uh, we've we come across, they, they knew exactly who I was. I was just like, I, I felt like I couldn't escape. It was like when you had that type of fame attached to you, you felt like you were in, you were trapped, like in, in a prison of like... Mm you couldn't really go anywhere or do anything because there'd be someone wanting a piece of you. So it was it was a change of life at that I guess that point. And so did you like it or not? No. No. That's interesting. No. Like you I guess everyone probably wishes like that yeah. they would be famous and that that would be cool to to have but could you imagine when you step outside and you have a line of people with cameras in your face or in a, in a video video camera trying to get you to say something and a microphone and then other people's all other people lining up trying to get photos as nice as you can be and say i would take photos with people but if you start just getting a line and line more more because once you get one someone you goes oh to, who's yeah. taking the photo oh it's that person oh they don't mind oh it's it. danny green <laughs> <laughs> they might not even know who you are but they're like I should get a photo because all yeah. everyone else is getting a photo. So yeah. people are never ends. Yeah, people yeah. are a bit sheepish. I feel like, and they'll just jump in and go, "Oh, I should do this because everyone else is doing it, so I should do it." Yeah, that well, does make sense. We and we can't wait to. I can't wait you for you to take us to this moment. But fifty-two thousand Suncorp, your home country, home city, against Pacquiao, 
to tell us that day. Talk to us about that day. I don't know if it's a blur. I know you've probably been asked a million times, but... It is a bit of a blur these days, but I can remember uh, just preparation as normal. I I guess making weight process. I used to use the hot bath to make the the weight. Um, So everything was the same. I used to have a little poker match the day before. Yeah. Uh, with the team, um, did that. So everything, everything that I normally did in in that routine uh, was basically the same. And um, the only thing is, I went to probably bed a little bit earlier for the Pacquiao fight, so I didn't have a late poker poker <laughs> game. It was the poker game. I think it was straight after weigh in um, because the fight was a midday fight rather yeah, than yeah. A, rather than a nighttime fight. How do you even sleep? <laughs> How do you sleep that night? I don't know. I feel like sleep is my superpower. To be oh, honest. we found it. There um, we go. I'm pretty good at sleeping. I can sleep pretty well nearly anywhere. <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. a skill I wish I had. Yeah. yeah. So I'm. I'm. Well, I do have a comfortable bed now. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but I, I, I am pretty good at sleeping. Yeah, and how did you find the build-up to that fight compared to other fights that you had? In respect to all your opponents, what was the the comparison? Was it very similar? Was it a big difference? Uh, look, it was. It felt pretty much the same, yeah. but I'd prepared for every fight in a similar way as of fighting a 12-round fight. I needed to, I guess, be super fit and mm. as fit as I could be and I, I I prepared as well as I could for the Pacquiao fight. You always have little injuries and niggles throughout the way, uh, but you just push through them or try and manage them as best best as possible to mm. to make it to that end time. Yep. And what's that feeling like when you come out and the pop of the crowd? <laughs> like I would be just so interested to like <laughs> Yeah, what what song I, did you go with when you came out? Uh, Seven Nations Army White Stripes. Yeah, Great song. Good one. Good yeah. one. Gets a crowd singing too. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> but but are you are you taking it all in or are you trying to block it out? Look, I don't mind. I was probably experienced enough in that fight that I had some crowds before, um, but never at a stadium or anything like That's that. Incredible with that many people. But I guess I I had pictured it so many times in, in my head what it might look like and. Just having a whole heap of people screaming and yelling and, mm. and cheering you on. I was just so I knew that that would happen. I, I guess I was expecting it. Uh, I had mentally prepared for it. So yeah, I just walked straight to the ring, which is where I had to go. It was fair fair height <laughs> to get there on, at the, on the stadium wall. <laughs> well, just like but the thing is, how far did you grow up from Suncorp, roughly? Like, like how close to Brisbane did you grow up? Uh, Thirty minutes. Yeah. So that like that is just. To me, that is so sentimental. Like, I just can't imagine that feeling you would have felt to be like, I'm in my home city in the biggest fight, you know, of your life for a world championship. Like, it just, yeah, it boggles my mind to even imagine putting myself in your shoes. It is. It's it's crazy, and it's I guess it was a dream. It was a dream come true that day, and um, I guess I wouldn't change anything for the world. Yeah, because it, it came to a obviously a decision. It went the full. Full hog, let's just say that. <laughs> when it comes to points, you know, is that something in your mind too? I'm, like you're, you're a world champ, you won it. But are you still – I can imagine you still thinking, I could have done this differently, I could have done that differently and the fight could have been done quicker. Yeah. Like I'm, do you, do you, does that go through your mind Look, even though you won? Having that fight against Pacquiao, knowing how boxing kind of works and how they favour the champion and all yeah. that type of thing and the A, or the A side, Pacquiao was all of that. 
He was a champion. He was the A-side. He had everything going for him. You could tell he was pretty cocky throughout it, just being mm. on his phone and running up late and, and things like that. So um, he was a superstar. So I felt like I had to knock him out to get that victory because the judges probably weren't going to give it to me. But so I fought that fight like I was trying to stop Manny Pacquiao. I, I was doing the best I could to try and uh, make him quit, but he was he was too good, obviously. He, yeah. He's too good. He's a great boxer and I wasn't able to get rid of him. So uh, he almost got rid of me in the ninth round, but I was able to push through that and then try and get rid of him again in round 10, 11, 12. And so standing at the end of the, uh, at the end of that fight, waiting for the decision, I was oh. like, oh, I don't know if they're going to give this to me. Like, did you think you'd... I felt like yeah. I'd won. I felt yeah. like I'd done enough. Even going back to my corner every round, I felt like they're like, yes, you won that round. Good job. Keep so are they giving you updates? Are they kind of saying this is... Yeah, they can't give you a proper update. No, 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 no but I mean your, te- not your team. Like are they saying, okay, yeah, we they, think you're doing this is well. where you're at. Yeah, well, yeah. you think you win, won that round. Well done. Yeah. And I kept going back. They have kept saying, yep, 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 well done. That was a good round. I think you got that one. So it kept on happening, kept on going back, kept on having the reinforcement. I was like, yeah, I felt like I am winning, but I need to still knock this guy out. So I still need to push hard and, and fight the whole fight in the whole 12 rounds as best as I could and stop him if possible. <laughs> That result probably defeats the purpose of this question, but is there bias in 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 boxing towards judges. the end when it comes to judging? There shouldn't be, but and some judges and a lot of judges that do judge say no, they wouldn't have any bias. But I feel like a human being can't help but being biased sometimes. If they know that there's a, a, a super champion like Manny Pacquiao uh, fighting in a fight, depending on how you you're meant to be trained how to watch watch the fight and watch the, the punches mm. landing by each fighters. But sometimes very hard when the crowd is, is cheering and you're watching and how, how do you exactly score yep. a fight? Cause the judges perception of ring gap control, landed punches, aggression, all these things are going to come into account, but then the crowd cheering at certain points of the fight can sway them. Yeah. I feel like to, to go in a different direction. Well, and I find that interesting because there are a lot of conspiracy theorists in the boxing world and, like, you hear about... And the one that comes to my mind is, I, I hear a lot about is Floyd Mayweather and that's the name that gets brought up in terms of he likes to fight on his own terms and his own place in front of his sometimes his own judges. I don't know how true any of that is, but do you ever, like, even after the fight, do you cop it, whether it's social media from people that feel like you've won but you didn't deserve to win? Like, what's it like when it comes... when it's so tight? Yeah. Non-stop, uh, yeah. non-stop on social media. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm getting uh, flack from people and I can put up a picture of my family doing something and on a holiday or something and I'll still get flack from people saying, you're not a world champion. Really? You're, you're a disgrace to the sport and it's just like, man. How do you, you win? Know, yeah. you say can, that to his face. You can't, you <laughs> yeah. can't win. But even though I'll say it to my face, I, I don't care. They no, can, I know. I can yeah. say it to my face. I know in myself so it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. I mm. felt like I won that fight, so it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So tell us a bit about now post-retirement like, and starting off with family. What, what's it been like now being able to spend some really quality time with your family? Look, it's it's great being able to, I guess, spend more time than usual with the family and I'm really enjoying it. Get to watch my girls grow up and have this time when they're younger at home and spend that time with them and play games with them. Um, mm. that a normal dad would only be able to do either after work or on the weekends. And, yeah, it's pretty cool yeah. to be able to do that. 
And Bullyproof. Talk to us about Bullyproof because this is amazing what you're doing. Yep. So Bullyproof Australia was, I guess, started from uh, Frank, Frank Meckler, and he brought it to me to say, I've got this idea to put this program in schools. And I was like, oh, it sounds, sounds good. Like I was, I was an ambassador for his Kung Fu program that he was doing. I was like, it sounds good, but it sounds too too hard for me to figure out. And I took it to Glenn. I was like, oh, I'll bring bring your idea to Glenn, and I'll meet that, put them two together, and we ended up forming a partnership between the three of us. And so, what does it look like? So you you go out to schools. That's what you're telling us earlier. What is the program? Yep. So we have the Amada Resilience Program, which we run at the schools, and we basically teach kids how to manage conflict. So. It's not a skill really taught at schools. So it's, they say either ignore the person or go tell a teacher, but sometimes that's not the best way to stop something happening because kids are relentless sometimes, especially on social media these days. It's how what tactics can you use to kind of either get someone to stop or then giving them potentially, back in the day we gave them phys- the physical of how to move, how to defend yourself, those capabilities in case someone was to attack them. And how do you, obviously you have a strong bond with it based on what happened to you as a, as a kid, but also now as a father and your, your daughter's about to go through the age of going through school. So obviously it must mean it's an important message to you personally. Yeah, it is. And look, we're develop, consistently developing the program as well. And we're starting to develop a primary school program, which is hundred percent what I want my daughter to be, I guess, going through because I feel like they, they learn things that they should be learning how to manage like conflict, yeah. even at a young age. Yeah. That's when bullying starts starts very early on in your life and if it's mm. not taken care of, it gets worse and worse as, as you get older and I'll, I'll be making sure that my kids know how to deal with it. Yeah, for sure. As best as they can. Well, it's even something I, I think back on, like I didn't get bullied much, but I, I remember getting bullied some stage mm-hmm. and I, I reckon a lot of kids probably did, whether it was verbal, physical in your case yeah. to a certain extent. But again, you'd go and tell the teacher – and that was it and nothing would happen. Mm-hmm. Nothing would happen. That's what we felt like it was, what, what's the point? What's yeah. the point of telling a teacher? You just either basically what I did is like I'll fight, fight back. So <laughs> Meet me, me behind the recess wall, oh, the <laughs> rebound wall. <laughs> <laughs> Were you going to go down the pathway of becoming a teacher too? Was that? I, d- I did become a teacher. You did become yep, a teacher. I missed right. that part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so that, well, was what, that was your plan if boxing didn't turn out so after school finished i had no idea what i wanted to do i didn't do very well at school i wasn't like a a plus student or anything so um, i needed to go to tafe to then upgrade my op to to then i did that for a year to upgrade to go to so i did an advanced diploma in sport and recreation and that got me to get into teaching straight after that so I basically was doing my teaching degree at the same time I was, I was an amateur boxer fighting, basically along the same timeline. So, yeah. I've got a question for Jeff <clears throat> before we finish. Now, yep. I want you to put yourself – I want you to think of the time in your career when you're at your absolute prime. Mm-hmm. I don't know what age that is or, or what comes to mind, but absolute prime Jeff Horn. Now, I want you to give us a top five dream fights. If, if time yeah. wasn't a thing, you can go back as far as you want. Who would you have loved to fight? You know, it, it just just a dream world. Whether it's Ali, for example, like no matter who it is, who would, yeah. who would you love to have fought? Look, it's probably the one biggest name that I probably missed, and the big biggest name probably in boxing, 
at the stage and I called him out straight after my fight against Pacquiao and that was Floyd Mayweather. Mm. Like I would have liked to have seen because he's the best defensive fighter, I guess, that's ever lived. Mm. Um, he's very, very good defensively. So it would have been great to try and hit him. I felt yep. like my style would have probably roughed him up and I don't know. Or maybe I wouldn't have been able to touch him. Who knows? What was, what was his response? I don't think he did respond. Nah. I think he was just like, ah, small fish. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so Floyd's one. Who else is on this list If in dream fights? Who? Look, this is, this is what probably made me probably good at boxing is that I didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't care yeah. who I fought, when I fought, just give me a fight. Yeah. Mm. I'm probably still like that these days and come a dossy step up. If it was it was if it was a big money fight, like yeah, sure, then I'll take yeah. like a, a a star like what you're saying is yep. like a Jake Paul or something. Even though he's probably a bigger guy, it's 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 a payday. Well, then I'll, I'll flip the question a little bit. Who who would be your top three? Uh, putting aside yourself, who's your top three favorite boxers of all time? Oh, I wouldn't put myself in that list, would I? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that's that's a point. We we get to take you out of that, so you don't have to yeah. either say yourself or not say yourself. Well, Pacquiao was definitely yep. uh, probably number one on my list. He yep. was a fighter that I definitely looked up to when I was, I guess, started watching boxing and uh, to come up from so many weight divisions and be as explosive as he was. He was probably one of mm. the best. Yep. Other than him, Floyd Mayweather was probably... Yep. Defensively, as I said, he was probably one of the best best fighters out there, and that was it. Really. What yeah. about Aussies? Who do you think is number one in in at the moment or oh, when of I all was, time? Of all time, <clears throat> of all time, probably Costa Zoo. Yeah, Costa Zoo. Yeah, he's done the best, I guess, so yeah. far. This is going to sound really random, but <laughs> I just remember Costa Zoo being on Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever get an invite on that, Jeff? I've been invited on a fair few <laughs> have real, reality shows. Have you? Any, any, any temptations anywhere? I don't think they could pay me enough. <laughs> really? Not stars. even celebrity get me out of here? No. Or something like that, maybe, but not. Oh, you heard it first. Oh, who who <laughs> knows? <it> up. <laughs> but yeah, Dancing with the Stars, yeah, that's, that would be a hard one, I reckon. Oh, it would be. Yeah. Uh, I feel like, as I said, I'm not probably a classic boxing style, so that yeah. footwork is something. I mean, it could salsa-ish. Oh, like, could, I don't know. Could expand. <laughs> <laughs> Have, have you thought this far in the future, let's say 15 years when, and I mean, I hope you don't hate me for asking this question, but let's say your daughters are now 18, 20, 25, and maybe some guys are starting to come to the door. How are you going to handle that situation? Because if there's if there's one person I don't really want to shake hands with on the first date with the father, it might be a you know, broke boxer. So how are we going to handle that look, situation? they won't remember me by then anyway. But, uh, look, it is a thought, I guess, that goes through my head. It's just like, I just hope. Yeah, like me and my wife's relationship is hopefully they see how to tr- treat each other and yeah. they can select a person out there that will treat them how yeah. they should be treated. So as long as I guess, uh, no. Is there any person, intimidation factors going to come? Nah, <laughs> squeezing their hand. Yeah, <laughs> I don't got a good think so. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, I I feel like. It's 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 tempting, right? As a dad, yeah. yeah well, that's, I've always thought about. I'm obviously not a dad, but I thought, I wonder, yeah, how you'd play that situation. But yeah. it's it's even more intriguing as a <laughs> as a fighter. That yeah, I was like, yeah. I could actually beat you up. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like you <laughs> yeah. normally, the son, of the the other, the boyfriend or something could probably thinks he's like, oh, I could take, yeah, I could take the old yeah. man, the old fella. <laughs> <laughs> he's old. <Yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> well, do you have any more questions? No, for the mate, hall? I've loved it. So, Jeff, just want to say, mate, a massive thank you for your time for one and two for being just so open, honest, and being yourself because uh, you've had an incredible career and humble, really very humble, humble man. So, we thank appreciate you. your time and looking forward to um, seeing what the future holds for you. Going forward. Cheers. Yeah. And well, how do we get involved in Bullyproof? And, or how do we, you know, if there's uh, any, what's Yeah, the look, there's, there's a Bullyproof website out there. I think it's bullyproof.org. Okay. Um, if you want to go search it and have a look at it, they always, I guess, accept donations because it is a charity. Yep. Uh, putting programs in schools yep. for Great. kids, but saying it, yeah. paying the name Bullyproof, yep. it's just getting it out there, exactly. getting people talking about it is. Is a big thing as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Jeff. We we, we had a blast. We've um, been so excited for this for a long time. So thank you for, for coming in and um, yeah, just appreciate appreciate your time and and how open you were. So thank you. Thanks, awesome. mate. Dee, wasn't that episode just awesome? Oh, mate, I got so much out of it. I'm sure you did too. And of course, thank you to everyone who listened. Guys, if you haven't already, go and subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For sure. And please leave us a five-star review on Apple. It goes such a long way to helping the show. And of course, you have your chance to get a shout out. Don't forget to go and follow us over on Instagram as well. What's the Instagram, D? It's at D underscore. D-O-S-A-N-D-D underscore. See you next week. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you in the next episode.